We have the revelation from God, right, which is the general revelation. We talked about that. You know, the earth that we have around us, the skies, uh, the forests, the mountains, everything. And then we have the special revelation or divine revelation, which is the Word of God. Um, but some people, uh, mainly there's uh, certain scientists that don't believe in God's Word, and unfortunately they teach that in a lot of the universities, which is really unfortunate because when you look at how our country is going, you, you know, a lot of people question and wonder why, and yet nobody's listening to God's Word, or very few. Um, but they do believe in empiricism, which we talked about being the hard science. That's where you have observation and experimentation. So gravity, for example, is an observation. You, you drop something, it falls. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of other experiments they do. The other thing is what we would call the soft science, and we talked about that. Do you guys remember what soft, an example of soft science would be? All right. The, uh, either of you guys had a really good lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the example we use, but that is a good example because you're right. When we when we look at a world, we see people struggle from alcoholism, right? The question is why do they struggle? And to somebody so I mean we're all looking at the same set of facts. We see that people like this really struggle in life. They, it's like they're addicted, they can't break away from it. The difference is, from a biblical point of view, we look at it as a sin because why? The Bible calls it a sin. The Bible says that drunkenness is a work of the flesh, all right? But science, not willing to use God's word, has to come up with another reason. So genetics is a good one. That's one of the uh, once it's a genetic thing, or it's an environmental thing where you you grew up in that environment. And I mean, there's some truth to that. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, if you grow up in an environment where everybody drinks, there's a good possibility you would drink. But it doesn't take it away from the fact that it is a sin, nevertheless. But yes, that's an example of soft science. And then we have intuition, and that's where you would... Get your knowledge just from, based on your own feelings, uh, which is really probably the worst. And, uh, and then we looked at this chart and we talked about, like, Freudism. We, Freudism, we talked about uh, behaviorism, Rogerianism, uh, cognitive behavior therapy, therapy, and then some present-day models, which are, and when you look at the present-day so again, looking at that grid, we looked at, based on the way they're coming at it with where their source of knowledge is, we're looking at what is the authority? Who is man? What is the problem? How do you treat it? How do you treat the problem? What's the goal? 
and who's the counselor. And we talked through all that. And probably the, the present-day models would be, and we'll look at them. I don't know if it's on here, but uh, some of them are more historical, although there's a mixture because you might have like a modern-day person, but they'll, they will have some Freudism mixed in there or uh, cognitive behavior therapy, even though maybe they uh, lean a certain way. But the more present-day models is that your brain has these chemicals, uh, dopamine, serotonin, and your levels are off. And so you need to take medication to get all your, you know, your brain uh, firing right. You know, all those neurons and, uh, you know, the synaptic clefts and all that kind of stuff, which is real, all right? I mean, that's how the brain is wired. You know, the question is, how does it fire? Is it really that, well, you're lacking dopamine? Maybe that's true, but why are you? You know, in other words, they really don't know what the root cause is. They just can see, you know, well, this is happening, all right? So you give somebody drugs, will it help? Yeah, it'll put a Band-Aid on the problem. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't solve the root problem. And so uh, what ends up happening is that, well, in, in, when you look at their goal, you know, the goal, and we talked about that, what is the goal of, and maybe you guys remember, what is the goal of most of the psychological models? What's that? It, well, number one, to be happy right? You want to be, you want to get a person to be happy. And the second thing is you want them to function. You know, if you're going to live in society, you want your people to function in society. So uh, those are the goals of most psychological models, if not all psychological models. Uh, but what about biblical counseling? What is the goal of biblical counseling? We've talked about this a couple times. But it's, uh, yeah, exactly. What God's word is what you're saying there, right? It's sanctification. And, and, uh, and really, uh, biblical counseling is an intense form of discipleship. And so we're, the, the goal is to get you into God's word so that you're growing in Christ. Okay? Okay. And then we started talking about Second uh, uh, Timothy, and we'll, if somebody would read, and we'll do, we won't read the whole thing this time, but we'll read Second Timothy three fifteen through seventeen. If somebody would read that. So who has that? Yep. Okay. Okay, thanks. So the scriptures are there to make us wise unto salvation. But the key word that we talked about, one of the key words that we talked about last time, 
And I'm glad your version said inspired. Some versions say God breathed, and that's a key verse, or a key word is really in that uh, Greek word for inspired or God breathed is uh, theonoustos, I think is how you, I don't know exactly how you pronounce it, but it's close to that. Um, But what it means is God actually breathed out the words. Now we know that, and boy, you could go pay a lot of money at a college to find out, but but it was only men that wrote the word. Uh, Well, this is true. Uh, God, I mean, I think God inscribed on the rock for Moses the Ten Commandments and whatever else he wrote on those. Uh, So it's not true that man has written everything. Uh, But uh, the the reality is, um, and if somebody would read 2 Peter uh, three fifteen to sixteen. So Second Peter three fifteen to sixteen. Hopefully, I got the right, right verse here. But regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all of his letters, speaking to them of these things, in which are some hard things to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do all also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Okay. And sorry I, I was I got ahead of myself there. What I <laughs> but thanks for reading that, Jeremiah. I uh what I was really after, I do have that one in my notes, by the way, because uh, that's how we know that the, um, the New Testament is Scripture as well. So I got a letter. What I wanted to read was, and I'll just read it, is Second Peter, uh, and this is Second uh, Peter 1, and verse 20 and 21 says, knowing this, first of all, that... No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So that's key. No prophecy was ever uh, produced by the will of man. But men from God, and some versions say holy men of God, spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in that God-breathing out Scripture, we understand that God took people like us, but they were holy. They were chosen by God. And God spoke to them. Yeah, they used their brains and they used their hands, but through it, God is able, because he created the whole heavens and the earth, why would he not be able to take a man that he's created and cause his mind, speak to to him and cause his mind in his hands to write out exactly what he wanted written. And that's what happened. Uh, So these uh, holy men of God, uh, Moses, um, uh, the prophets, uh, Isaiah, uh, David, and, you know, all these guys, they were inspired by God. You know, even that psalm we read, uh, Psalm 32, I don't know if you noticed that, but at the end of it, it says, none of his bones are broken. The Psalms are so messianic, meaning they, they have a, a current meaning as David proclaimed them, but they also have 
a future meaning in that that verse most likely talks about Christ because when he was put to death on the cross, none of his bones were broken. And so, you know, we could have a whole discussion on that, but we're not going to talk about that right now. The point is, is that the word that we have is God's word. It's as if God is speaking to us, and we should take it like that. But again, it's something that you, it's by faith, like following God. If, if we, you know, if you don't believe God, it's like God is not going to reward you. That's what Hebrews 11.6 talks about. You know, that those that come to God must believe that God exists and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So you have to believe it. And that's the way to salvation, by the way. But the other thing we talked about is in the, when this was penned, and I'm talking about uh, going back to that Second Timothy 3.16, that he talks about the scriptures there, that God breathed out these scriptures, and uh, he was most likely referring to the Old Testament at that time, but he was also referring to the New Testament. And Jeremiah read one of the verses uh, where Peter talks about how Paul uh, says all these things which are hard to understand, but he equates it with other scripture. So, uh, and the other verse, we won't read it right now, but the other verse is uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 5.18, he shows that uh, Jesus, when he speaks in Luke ten seven, is referencing Deuteronomy twenty five four for the first part of what he's saying. Or I'm sorry, the let me. I'll just read back through my notes. So, First Timothy, I uh, I gotta go back. Sorry about this. For the First Timothy five eighteen passage shows the Apostle Paul referencing Deuteronomy twenty five four for the first part, and Jesus' words in Luke ten seven as the second part, equating it all as Scripture. So maybe we will read that. So if somebody wants to read 1 Timothy 5.18, we'll take a look at that. <clears throat> so the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while he is threshing. The laborer is worthy of his wages. Okay, so that first part about muzzling the ox is in Deuteronomy 25.4, but the second part, Jesus says, on his own. And, but the idea there is, Paul is equating it all as Scripture. And so, the words of Christ are considered Scripture as well. Okay, well, and then we come to the uh, second part about the Scriptures being profitable, and that means that they're beneficial, they pertain to value, they're useful, and they're, uh, they have profitability. And then he lists four things. Uh, and some of your versions, the wording might be slightly different. So I'll just go with what I have. Uh, the first one is teaching. So the scriptures are profitable for teaching. And one thing we'll do is we'll look at Matthew fifteen nine. All right, if somebody wants to get that and read it, Matthew 15, 9. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine 
Okay. So that word, doctrines, is the same word that's used here for teaching. And that's the idea of it. It's providing instruction, but it's also doctrine kind of instruction. Meaning you, there's different ways. The, the Greek word is, uh, in this case, is a form of didasco, which is uh, the teaching. And it really refers to doctrine. Uh, but it's not just for our theology about God. Because a lot of times when we think about doctrine, we do think about uh, the attributes of God or who God is and, you know, what is salvation you know, we think of soteriology, all that, when it comes to doctrine. But it's also, doctrine is important because it tells us how we should live, all right? The second uh, word I have is reproof. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, it's, uh, the scriptures are profitable for teaching, for reproof. And uh, we'll look at a few verses here, but the idea is uh, conviction, Rebuke, uh, re- refuting error is the idea. But let's look at a couple verses. Uh, the first one's Hebrews 11.1. 1, and then if somebody will also look at John 8.46. And who can I get to read those to? Uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Okay, Luke. And uh, how about John 8.46? Okay, Renee. Go ahead when you're ready. Okay, and that word for conviction there, in some versions says evidence, okay? But go ahead, Renee, go, uh, read John eight forty six. Okay, so that's Jesus, and he's talking to probably people that are trying to tell him that he's got a demon or something like that. I mean, they were always after Jesus to try to show him where, and show the world where he was wrong, though he was never wrong. But he, you know, he asked at that point, which, which one of you guys are actually convicting or convincing me that this is sin? Because um, that's the idea of this, this word. It's, it's conviction or evidence. And really, the idea is... And another uh, verse that it is in is 1 Corinthians 14.24, where Paul talks about, you know, if, if everyone comes into your congregation and you're all speaking tongues, they're going to be like, I don't even know what's going on here. Uh, but if you're all prophesying, all meaning, let's say you're all talking about the gospel, about how to be saved, that if you're a sinner, you're going to end up in hell or something like that, the idea is that this person that comes in will be convicted. He'll be convinced of his error, meaning he thinks he's like most people today. Uh, You know, you ask him, you know, you go out and do street evangelism. And and how many of you guys have done that, by the way? Okay. And like, have you ever asked anybody, uh, have you considered what the word of God or how do you, how do you go about it? Okay, and what, what kind of responses do you get? Okay, right. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, well, I could tell you some stories, but, but people do generally think they're good. And, but 
what does the Bible tell us? Outside of Christ, none is good. All right? So the idea is somebody comes into a congregation or maybe you're talking to them or something, and they hear that for the first time, and they're convinced or they're convicted by it, that's the idea of this word, is you're refuting error. And in the case of uh, somebody like that, the error, I mean, it's not like they're following, I mean, they are, but they don't realize it. They're following false doctrine by believing they're good. So you're refuting that error in them. So scripture is good for reproof. Uh, The next thing is uh, correction. And here uh, the idea is it corrects our faults or the idea is reformation where it teaches us how to get back on track, all right? And when you fall into sin, what would you say, what would you say to somebody? Because now we've talked about, you know, we, we're all able to counsel, all right, to some degree, right? How would you counsel somebody if they came to you and said, I sinned, you know? And I'm not saying how do you break from the sin, but what, what, would, what would be something you'd tell them? Okay, repent, right. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So the word of God helps us to understand how to get back on track when we've gotten off track. Uh, and then the final thing is it's uh, profitable for training in righteousness. And I wanted to read you something. You know, we, we just went through spiritual depression. That always sounds so bad when I tell people, you know, we're, what are you guys doing in Sojourners? Oh, we're going through spiritual depression. You know, it sounds like we're really depressed. But uh, in reality, it, that's the name of the book. It's an excellent book. Uh, but really, I think the title should be How to Find Joy in Your Christian Life. Um, this last word is the same word that's used in Hebrews 12.5. And twelve seven. If somebody would read that, Hebrews twelve five and twelve seven. And some versions talk about chastisement. In other words, getting a spanking. All right. Now, we don't really think about when we think about God's word helping us. Maybe we don't think about that. But Martin Lloyd Jones, because he's got a chapter on chastening, uh, says The question that obviously faces us, therefore, is what is chastisement? What does it mean? It means to train. The fundamental meaning of the word is just that. It is the training through which a child is put. It is the method of training a child. 
we rather tend to confuse it with the word punishment. It includes correction, but it also includes instruction. It includes rebuke. Indeed, it may include a good deal of punishment, but the essential thing is, and the essential object of chastisement is to train and to develop the child so as to produce a grown person. All right? So when you look at chastisement that way or discipline, you know, think about a, a little kid. You know, a lot of you guys are young, and uh, you got young kids, all right? And you find out right away that the better job you do at disciplining them, the better they do. And uh, so, but that's the idea of that is, you know, we, when we come to the Lord, we come at, as babies, really, is what we do. And we have to grow. And sometimes, you know, we do wrong things. We say wrong things. And God corrects us. And sometimes it hurts, you know. Uh, and I wouldn't say like, you know, he spanks us in the respect of physically. But a lot of times it's, you know, it's embarrassing sometimes to go through chastisement, you know, to be corrected in that way. And yeah, that, that type of stuff hurts. But it's good, you know, because we learn, really learn how to be, how he wants us to be, conformed to the image of his son, you know? So, what? What's that? It's humbling, very, I'll say, very humbling. And, uh, you know, when I first became a Christian, and incidentally, I was 25 at one time, all right? Uh, the, uh, and I'll have to say, one thing I thought is I knew everything back then. And, uh, boy, God has really shown me a few things. And uh, it's been humbling, but it's, it's been good. You know, I'll have to say that. The Lord has been good. And the Lord is good in chastisement and discipline as well as in everything else. And so, but that's what that last word means. And so that's what the scripture is profitable for. And then verse 17 tells us that it's to, that the man of God or the child of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So when we look at the word complete, it's qualified for a function, capable, efficient, proficient, competent, and, uh, and so on. The idea is, is com- thoroughly or fully complete. And then uh, to be equipped means to be furnished or finished. So in other words, what God's word does for us is it, it completes us and it furnishes us with everything we need to do to, to be the kind of person that God wants us to be, all right? In other words, God wants us to be joyful, all right? So if I'm a depressed person, then first of all, I'm... And, and when I say that, I'll back it up a little bit because the problem with depression is it could have physical parts to it, meaning your hormones might be off. It might mean that uh, there is literally like some brain functioning that is not working right, Uh, whether it's like from dementia or, uh, you know, things like that, Alzheimer's maybe. Um, And also illegal drugs 
can make you depressed. Uh, so, but aside from all that physical stuff, a lot of times depression is uh, spiritual in nature. All right, but God calls us to rejoice. You know, uh, Philippians four: Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. All right. So if we're not, if there's truly no physical aspect to the depression, then really, uh, what we have to find out is why we're not living in that joy of the Lord. Because if we look at a verse like Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, then we've been equipped with everything to live a, a godly life. All right. And that's why we can say that the Bible is sufficient for all our problems. And when I say all our problems, I'm talking about all of our spiritual problems. All right? Again, Scripture, well, yeah, Scripture could help you if you had a broken leg or a broken arm to encourage you, but the doctors are going to have to probably put a cast on. All right? Uh, if you have a, a strep infection, you know, yes, you can pray that God would deliver you. You can uh, pray for joy through it. But probably the best way with something like that is to get some penicillin or amoxicillin or something like that to kind of help you through it. And nothing wrong with that, by the way. Uh, but the idea is, and so now you understand, and this is really an issue because there's a lot of uh, what we would say Christian counselors, all right, that would say, yes, the Bible is good, but it's not adequate for all our problems. But here, what we're saying and what we're teaching, because of what the Bible says about itself, is that the Bible is adequate for every spiritual problem a person would have. All right? How about, uh, and speaking of depression, I. Uh, one of the causes of depression is guilt. And incidentally, uh, schizophrenia. One of the problems with schizophrenia is guilt. I'm not saying all of schizophrenia, that there's no uh, physical part to it. There may very well be, and I believe in a lot of cases there are. But interestingly enough, guilt plays a role in a lot of it. All right? Is the Bible adequate to handle guilt? Yeah, it is. It's very adequate. Because what you find out is, if you're guilty because you've broken a, you know, transgressed God's law, you've sinned, uh, what do we do? We, we confess our sins, and then we repent. Proverbs 28.13 talks about... Uh, that we uh, confess and we forsake the way of sin, all right? And that's where we find prosper, prosperity or blessing. And uh, so the Bible has a lot to say about guilt. Um, okay. Any questions before we go on to the next part? We talked about a lot there. And Yeah, Mary.
Okay. Okay. Yeah, it'll put you back on balance, maybe a little. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, really, the idea is to bring them, find out, first of all, why are they, why are they having anxious thoughts? And, you know, bring it back to the, the reasoning. So you're, and that, you know, so one of the, one of the things you're doing as a, a biblical counselor is you're getting, trying to get a lot of data on them. And because what you want to do is you, you don't want to just like, automatically tell them something. You want to find out what's going on because the Bible tells us, uh, and I believe it's uh, Proverbs eighteen thirteen. If somebody would want to read that real quick, uh, Proverbs eighteen thirteen. I, I believe that's the... Okay. And, and that's really a key verse in biblical counseling is that if you give somebody an answer before you really understand what's going on, then it could be, I mean, you might be right, but if you're wrong, you're really going to look stupid, all right? So it's, it's to your folly and shame. So really, the, the goal is then to really try to understand why are you having these anxious thoughts? Um, why are you, and, you know, it, eventually what you would probably do is, and I'm guessing other than the dopamine deficiency, that's, uh, I don't believe dopamine is a, a hormone. So, I mean, the, I think there's a difference between the two. Uh, but really the idea is a lot of times with anxiety, people aren't, they're, they're not doing what? They're not trusting God, all right? And so it may be a matter of, I mean, let's say you were to find out that was it. And like I say, it's hard to give an answer because it's really, you know, without knowing all the facts. But that's what biblical counseling is after. Let's, let's find out what's going on in their life. When did the problem start? Uh, like, when do you feel anxiety, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. As a friend, I'd be praying for them. You know? Yeah, because it's... Yeah, especially if they're not asking. It's like, you know, you, it, that, giving somebody advice when they don't want it can really blow up in your face. And uh, I'm not saying don't give advice, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That is so hard. And, uh, but that's really, I mean, the best thing you can do is pray for them. Ask God to, you know, open their eyes or even ask you, you know, what what do you think of this? You know, I mean, you know, this, I've been going through this and, you know, and then, you know, be prepared to give them an answer if they do uh, come back to you. Yeah, that's, that is, that is a real struggle. I t- I'll say with counseling too is that, you know, when people do things that, oh, guy, I don't think this is the right thing to do. And they're like, no, I'm, I'm sold on it, you know. But again, uh, could drugs help? Yeah, they could. But what are they going to do? They're going to help them to be happy, and they're going to help them to function, all right, which has its purpose. But in reality, if they're not trusting in God, if they're not, especially if they're not saved, then what are you doing? Are you really helping them? Yeah, Abby. So, are you saying that we should share our concerns, or that we should share our concerns, but still pray for them if they're not Yeah, no, I, uh, I think you should definitely always pray. Uh, I didn't say you shouldn't share your concerns. I'm just saying if you do, it might blow up in your face. <laughs> that, uh, you know, people will, uh, sometimes the real person will come out if you uh, uh, share things that they don't want advice on. That, I don't, I'm not saying that should stop you, all right? It may be just a matter of praying, Lord, how do I talk to them about this? And, because, uh, I mean, it's hard, like, when you come in, in onto somebody with like what I call the Todd Frio approach, you know, you're going to hell. You're, you know, and I mean, he just has this very brash way of of uh, approaching people. I don't know if he still does, but back in in the day when we used to first listen to him, he did. Uh, versus coming at somebody with like, "Hey, I love you, and I really want to share something with you that I think is going to help." Uh, Two different approaches, you know, so maybe it's more of a matter of approach as well. So, Jeremiah, you had a question. Okay, that's fine. All right. Well, that's, now I don't feel so bad when that happens to me. Nice young guy like you. Um, Okay, well, let's, uh, we'll, uh, go through questions again towards the end. Uh, what I want to go on to next is uh, the importance of the gospel. And this is really hard to teach in a church like ours because it seems like everybody's pretty up on what the gospel is. Um, but why, why would sharing the gospel or why 
uh, not even sharing, why is the gospel important in biblical counseling? Yeah, long. It's the answer. Okay, good, yeah. What's that? Hope. Yeah, that's exactly, that's one of, one of the reasons. Yeah, anybody else? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, we'll look at a couple things. Uh, well, why is the gospel important? Because without it, no eternal life. You know, if, if somebody isn't believing the gospel, then they don't have eternal life. So that's why, one of the, the first reason why it's important. But specifically in counseling, uh, if we look at, and I'll have somebody read 1 Corinthians 2.14, and then somebody Romans 8.8, 8, but without it, there's no spiritual discernment, and also a person is not able to please God. So who's got 1 Corinthians 2.14? I'll say everybody does have it, but who wants to read it is probably the better word to say. Okay. Yep. And then somebody, Romans 8 8. Okay. So go ahead, Rachel. Or Renee, sorry. Okay, so somebody that's not born again is not even able to understand, why are you telling me me that? That has nothing to do with anything, you know? Uh, Might be a response you'll get. Okay, how about Romans 8.8? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, the mind that isn't, you know, somebody that's not born again, as hard as it is to believe, they're hostile towards God. And if you don't believe it, try really getting down to the nuts and the bolts of the gospel, and uh, you'll see for yourself that uh, they really are indeed hostile towards God. Um, But that kind of person can't please God. You have to be saved to be able to please God. So that's why the, you know, when we're looking at counseling people then, it's a matter of, all right, if I'm going to share scripture with you, you know, whether it's for your depression or anxiety or whatever, if you're not born again, you're just going to, you might look at me and say, why do I need that? Or they might say, well, okay, I'll try that. But in reality, if they're not born again, they're not going to be able to please God in what they do. Um, So uh, that's uh, one of the reasons why it's so important. Okay, second thing, and maybe we'll get through this one, but if I could get somebody to read 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 6. So 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 6.
Okay. So what Paul is is up against there is uh, other apostles that are, uh, in a sense, trying to oust him, if you want to say that. And they're, uh, but it doesn't even sound like they're tr- uh, proclaiming a true gospel. So, and that's why the gospel is so important when we when we're in counseling with people, because, and this is something that we ran into at the Hmong village a lot when we talk to people. Uh, do you go to church? Oh yeah, yeah, I go to so and so church, you know. But as you talk to them, you realize there's no understanding of the gospel there, you know. And uh, a couple, I, and I've just listed three of what I would consider false gospels, works righteousness. You know, we have that, a lot of religions. Well, yeah, I go to church, you know. And so as you're talking to somebody, they might have a, you know, an understanding of, of the Bible of, yeah, I believe in Jesus, you know. But how do they, like, you almost have to probe them in a way to, like, do they understand the gospel? Because maybe it is a matter of works righteousness. Or another one is easy believism. Yeah, I gave my life to the Lord back, you know, 10 years ago. I was at a, you know, Billy Graham crusade or whatever. And, uh, or I prayed this prayer with this person. And, but you look at their life and there's been no change. All right. And that is one of the, I, I think the key identifiers of whether somebody is saved is, do they show a life that's changed? And, uh, and the last one is, of course, of course, health, wealth, and prosperity. Now, I'm not saying that somebody couldn't be in a religion like this. Uh, maybe they sincerely prayed a prayer, and they really did believe in Jesus Christ, but because of the fact they've had bad teaching, false doctrine, whatever, it could be that they've just kind of faltered along and haven't really grown, all right? But that's why biblical counseling is so much about discipleship. Because, you know, there's, you know, we want people to be progressively becoming more sanctified, progressively becoming more like Christ, all right? And one of the, and let's look at this one, uh, and you know what? Maybe I'll save this for the last time. We we're getting kind of close to, if this clock is right here, I'm going to look and see. So yeah, 708. So maybe we'll stop there and we'll pick up this next time about, because this story, this is a Philippian jailer, I think a lot of elements of what salvation really brings is in that uh, account. And so... Uh, we'll hold off on that, and I'll just ask for other questions. Any more questions? Right, yeah. Yeah, amen. Because what does it do? It takes the focus off of God and, and Christ. So, yeah, good point. Any any other questions?
right, well, let's, uh, we'll close in prayer and then we break up into groups and I'm not sure who's leading which group. Okay, so Jeremiah, are you going to be over here? Okay. All right. Well, Father, we we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you, Lord, for your word which you've given us that is able to equip us for every everything we need. Father, your word is sufficient, and it also tells us about the gospel of Jesus Christ, your Son, and I thank you for that, Lord. It it shows us the way back to you. And so uh, we thank you for this time together. Uh, we just pray that, uh, Lord, that you would be with everybody as they go tonight and uh, bless them on their way. Uh, we thank you for this time in Jesus Christ's name.